Greetings everybody, it's a great blessing for me to come to you today. I want to welcome you to this webcast of Dynamic Love Ministries, wherein we are just bringing you the gospel of God's grace. It's an honor to preach the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It's an honor to have his life inside us and to share in what God has dreamt for humanity from before the world began. God is an awesome, awesome being and he's come and he's revealed himself to us in the deepest possible ways in our very being and then he came and he manifested himself in jesus christ and he's bringing forth what is dreamt for us from just from always from what was from from his very core is bringing forth the life that he has dreamt for us now as we start the service let us just pray together father i want to thank you that we can be together i want to thank you for your grace and your mercy i want to thank you that everybody that is slotted in here today will just experience your peace and your goodness and your kindness and i thank you you speak to the hearts of every person by the power of your spirit of life thank you that you are speaking to us through the resurrected jesus right now and revealing the fullness of you in us thank you that you've come to save us and give us life speak powerfully through me today lord and i just know that we are just together in this and it is you bringing forth your life in and through me. Amen. Amen. Today I'm going to talk a little bit about the fire of God, the day of the vengeance of our God. And I'm going to link it up with the whole idea of Pentecost, the outpouring of the Spirit of God, when tongues as a fire came upon people. Now I would like to read from, um, I would like to read from Acts chapter 2. And we're going to just read right there from verse 1. We're going to explain this concept of Pentecost, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. I think this is very important because, especially in the here and now, we are thinking of what's going on in the world. We think of so many things, what people are seeing in their, with their own eyes. Uh, in South Africa especially, we're thinking of our economy and what we are going through. We're thinking of our electricity problems. We're thinking of the schools opening and some people for, some people against the whole thing about the coronavirus. People don't know what to do. Uh, confusion setting in and with some folks. Some people say it is too soon. Others say it's too late. Uh, yeah, there's just so many things. But what do we do in these times? I think in these times, the best thing to do, as always, is to keep your eyes on the resurrected Jesus Christ. For life is from and in him. Nothing else. That is where we find our life. That is where we see the victory. It is in Jesus. You might say, Bertie, but I need to know it all before I can do that. That is a lie. You don't need to know it all. You need to have life from the one that knows it all. You just need to be under his guidance. You just need to be under his life. So many times we have just thought that we need to know it all. And the reason why we think we need to know it all is so that we can do it all. So that we can be the gods of our own lives. We don't always need to know everything. What we need to know is that he knows everything and that he, we can simply trust and believe upon him. And he will tell us what to do in our hearts. To give you a good idea, you know, we, um, we rent a building where we have our church services and church is as from next week we are allowed to have church again everything opened up and i could have now wondered what shall i do you know shall i open the church shouldn't i open the church half of the people in the church might think it's a good thing other people might think it's a bad thing but i, I never worried about that the only thing for me was that we want the church open because we want to at least take part in feeding the poor, visiting some people that need prayer and so forth. Uh, that is what, I, what was really pressing in my heart because we're not allowed to do that. As a, a, a pastor, we're not allowed to go and visit people or pray for the sick or somebody dies. I mean, uh, uh, their family needs some support and so forth. It's just very, very difficult situation. So they opened up the church and I'm very happy for that. But now we sit with how we're going to do our services, mosques and uh, yes, who knows. But I just felt in my heart not to worry about that. I'm just, in that day, the Lord will tell me what to do. And the way it worked out is that the place where we rent our, uh, the facility that we have is also part of a, a, a gym. And that only opens in phase one. 
So we're not going to have an, a building open up until phase one, which can be next year. So, uh, I mean, I could have worried about this thing. I could have, what about this? What about that? But I just felt I don't know, need to know everything. All I need to know is that he knows and I follow what is in my heart. And I felt that when the day comes, we will, we will decide what to do. And then it was kind of decided for us. So we're continuing with Zoom Church. Very happy with that. Glory to God. Okay, so um, I, I found that we're reaching almost two or three times more people that way anyway. But I do believe in gathering together. It is a very good thing and I wish it could go back to normal. But that is what will be for us. Other people's got different things to deal with. The point that I want to make is follow what God puts in your heart. You don't need to know it all. He knows it all. You just believe him. Glory to God. Right. Uh, Acts chapter 2, we're going to look at the day of Pentecost. It says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with uh, other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were dwelling they were dwelling in Jerusalem, devout Jews, men out of every nation under heaven. Now when this was this no, this was when this happened, the multitude came together and they wanted to know what was going on, for they were hearing the gospel in their very own language. Now this talks about I never saw it like this, but I my mind went there it actually talks about in the old testament the outpouring of the holy spirit i mean the different things but i like to think of this also as in what happened in exodus 20 verse 18 when moses came to the mountain the bible says there was mighty thunderings and lightning and and all those kind of things and one of the words there the word thundering means voices and i find in some rabbinical commentaries that that would voices there some of the rabbis said that when God came down and he gave the law to the people that the voices that there were 70 different languages in which it was given now that cannot be proven it is just some rabbinical commentaries on this and what some of the old rabbis would say and what they believed about that and which would also be part of oral tradition and what people would say about what took place there so what actually took place is God didn't just want this just for the Jews. He was saying this in different languages. It was for all people, which we see here take place in Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes down. It's like God coming down onto the mountain to give the law. But what law is being given here? The law that's being given here is the law of life in Christ Jesus. It is the gospel of the rule of Jesus Christ over this earth wherein and as i said in the introduction part of this message where we don't have to know everything where he knows everything and where he rules and reigns and gives us life by the holy spirit um, and just brings forth who he is inside us scripture even says that we know in part but in that day we shall fully know so as we know in part we trust and rely and believe upon him he knows what he's doing and he's bringing forth life and if we go and read in acts uh, it clearly says there that the people were very afraid. And then Moses said to them, don't be afraid of the thunderings and the voices. Uh, this is not God wanting to kill you. It's God wanting to purify you so that you will not sin. So what Moses understood in this whole thing about the fire that came down and that was burning and the different voices, the different languages in which the law was given was that it was to bring forth life unto people. It was not to take away life. It was to give life. And so many times when we think of fire, we think of fire as that which destroys. We think of fire as that which is going to punish. But in the meantime, that is not what God wants to do. The Jews looked at the fire that was coming down and they thought it was punishment. They thought that they're going to die. But what Moses was saying is this fire is not here to kill you. 
This fire is here to give you life, but the fire will kill something. And what the fire will kill is the power unto sin and death. We already see that in Exodus. What is so beautiful is that when we see Jesus, inside Jesus, we understand all things. The resurrected Christ comes and gives definition to everything. In him, we know all things. In him or from him, every understanding of scripture is contained. So as we look at the resurrected Jesus and how he poured out his life, we understand Exodus. And we see that God didn't want to come and punish people, that he wanted to come and be good to people. And we can conclude that the God of the Old Testament is a very good God. And that he spoke to people in different ways, in different manners. And in these last days, after he's taken away all our sin, he's speaking to us through the, res the resurrected Jesus. And our theology starts with him. And as we look through the lens of the resurrected Jesus or in the light of his light, which is the light of the glorified human being, we see light. We understand. We can conclude what scripture is truly saying. And we can just conclude this, that God has always been good. He's always been loving. He's always been caring. So we find in Exodus 20 from verse 18, the fire came down onto the mountain. God wanted to come and bring forth something that can purify people so that they will not sin. They says, no, 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 we don't want to hear what God is saying to us. You just give us laws and commandments. We will just do it. In other words, from our own life, we will do the right thing and have life. But we don't want to go close to that voice. We don't want to go close to that fire. You're going to see that the Jews back then said it. And then in the time of Jesus in Luke 4, they said the very same thing and followed the very same pattern unto their own destruction, not entering into the, the, uh, the, the promised land. Okay, now Acts chapter 2, like we have seen there, the Holy Spirit was poured out. It was... Uh, I think it talks about the day of Jubilee. It also talks about the end of the harvest. The harvest is ripe. Now we are harvesting what God has come to give unto us. And we are gratefully receiving this Jubilee that God has brought to us. But I want to go to Luke chapter 4 and look at one of Jesus' first messages according to Luke. His first message, what he preached. And this is very powerful. Luke 4 verse 16. Remember, we're talking about the vengeance of God, the outpouring of the fire of God. This fire is not to kill us, but this fire is to keep us from the power of sin in the flesh so that we can have eternal life. Now, Luke 4, Jesus, it, it was just after Jesus was tempted by the devil in the desert and then he went out into a, uh, one of his own hometowns there, one of the villages there, and they, as his custom was, went to the synagogue to read. And this is what happened. And he came to Nazareth, this is verse 16, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue and on the Sabbath day stood up to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor and he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised <clears throat> and to preach the acceptable here of the Lord. And then uh, it is not recorded there, but in the passage, if you go and read Isaiah 61, it says, the day of the vengeance of our God. Now, some people say that Jesus cleverly stopped there and didn't include that and then add reasons. And the reasons was is because it is not the day of the vengeance of our God. The day of vengeance is coming and all those are disobedient. God is going to punish them and, and basically throw them into hell and then take this day of vengeance and connect it to an end time outpouring of anger. <clears throat> now, I call that an eisegesis. That means you're reading things into the text that is not there. That is just speculation. It is not really so. It's, it is like uh, 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 re reasoning from silence. And we all know that is a logical fallacy. 
You cannot reason from silence. That means if somebody didn't say something, you cannot come to conclusions on why he didn't say something. If something's not there, you cannot use that as a proof for something else. Now, I would say that the scripture states here that he opened the place where it was written. And then Luke quoted a piece there. But it simply meant, it's a different way of saying, of he opened Isaiah 61. He opened Isaiah 61. And then it says, and he read, and after he read from that place, he came and he sat down. The Bible says, and the eyes of all of them that were on him in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bear witness and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, is this not Joseph's son? Now that is an amazing thing that is mentioned here in Luke. In other words, when he quoted that passage in Isaiah 61, all of a sudden they say, he cannot be the one. This is Joseph's son. He cannot be the one. So Jesus, when he read that passage, basically said that in your hearing today, this is fulfilled. And they didn't want to hear that. We're going to look at that. It says, and they said unto him, <clears> or <throat> oh, he said unto them, yes, surely I say unto you, this proverb you will say, physician, heal yourself. Whatsoever we, uh, we have heard, you have done in Capernaum, do in your own city. Verily I say unto you, no prophet is except in his own country. But I tell you of the truth that many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up for three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all of the land. But unto none of them was Elijah sent, save unto Sarepta, a city in Sidon, unto a woman, a widow. Now, there's some beautiful detail in there which we'll look at. And many lepers were in Israel at the time of Elisha and the prophet, uh, the prophet, and none of them were cleansed, save Naaman the Syrian. So he's talking about a Syrian here, and he's talking about a Sidonite here. So what is he saying to them? He says, listen, I want to just tell you something, that this scripture, Isaiah 61, which talks about the day of the vengeance of our God, which would come and comfort the people of God, is fulfilled in your ears. But I want to say something to you. You have already now expressed that this scripture is not fulfilled in your ears and that I am not the Messiah. But let me tell you something. As you understand this scripture in the light of it is the vengeance of God, where God has come to take vengeance on uh, what God has basically sent unto Israel to take vengeance on the nation that is oppressing Israel. I want to tell you something in the light of that that the prophet was not sent to Israel, but he was actually sent to a widow that was not a Jew, as well as to Naaman, which was not a Jew. And after they heard this, it was such blasphemy to them that the scripture says that they wanted to kill Jesus. It says, and, and all... Uh, and all they that were in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him unto a brow of a hill, the cliff. They wanted, and what did they want to do? They wanted to cast him down headlong. They wanted to murder him. So what was said there was so powerful that they thought this man must be murdered. So what did Jesus actually say there? He was basically saying to them, that the oppressor is not the Gentiles, but that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and their understanding of the law was the true oppressor. They were bringing the oppression. And then he said, Isaiah 61 is fulfilled in their hearing, meaning that the day of the Lord, the day of the vengeance of God has now started wherein that which and those which oppressed will be burned up. The day of vengeance of God is coming forth and 
oil of joy is going to be breaking forth, the oppressed are going to go free and all those things, but it is said in the context of that the prophet didn't come to the people of God, the Jews, but to the Gentiles, making the Jews actually those that oppress. Now, some will say this is anti-Semitic or everything, and you might want to say that you, you might be so angry hearing this that you would want to be filled with wrath and take me to the edge of a cliff and throw me down. I hope what you, you hear what I'm saying there. Let us go quickly to um, Isaiah. Isaiah 61. I'm going to explain to you why I say this is the day of the vengeance of our God. And we're talking about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the day of Pentecost, praying in other tongues. Remember, Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit was poured out and they prayed in different languages. Why? Because this message was for all nations. Exodus 20, they heard voices or different voices or languages. The gospel or the law system, the Jews were supposed to be a light unto the Gentiles. And then they weren't. And here we find that Isaiah is prophesying to the deliverance of God's people. And this is what he says. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good things unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the broken heart, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to them that are bound. And then semicolon explaining what this means to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of the vengeance of our God for the purpose of comforting all who mourn. The day of the vengeance of our God is to comfort all who mourn and, in verse 3, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Okay, now when we look at the day of vengeance in verse 2, it, the cross-reference to that and where that language comes from is from Isaiah 34. Isaiah 34 verse 8. Now, when we, when we read Isaiah 34 verse 8, it is in the context of God warning the nations. Let me explain to you what happened there. You read Isaiah 34 from verse 1, God comes and this is talking about the Israelites being in exile under the power of different nations. And he's saying to the different nations, nations, I want to tell you this. My people are under your power at the moment, but my sword is forged in heaven and will come down on all of you and it will cut you down and the earth will drink your blood and I will destroy you and my people shall go free. And that day that God has uh, prophesied that will take place in delivering Israel from Babylonian exile, he is called, in verse 8, the day of the Lord, the vengeance and a year of recompense for the controversy of Zion. So where we get the whole idea of the day of the vengeance of God is in the context of Babylonian exile where the Jews were oppressed. God declares that he will set the people free, give them back their land, bring joy to them again, and he calls that the day of the vengeance of God. Jesus comes in Luke, and after he's been tempted of the devil, walks into the synagogue, reads Isaiah 61, which all the Jews were waiting for. They were waiting for this whole thing of God coming, bringing good news to the captives, because the Jews believed that they were the captives. Uh, the oil of joy for mourning, because they believe that they were mourning under the oppression of Rome. Be heal the brokenhearted, believe that our hearts are broken because we are not ruling as God has promised the Jews supposed to rule, and so forth. So they saw the day of vengeance is when God's going to come in with a vengeance and destroy the power of the nations and bring freedom unto the Jews. Jesus comes and he says that scripture is fulfilled in our hearing or in the hearing of those people. And that is the day of the vengeance of our God. And now we go into Malachi. Malachi 4 says this day of the vengeance of our God will burn like an oven. 
the sun, S-U-N, of righteousness will arise with healing in his wings. He will burn up the chaff, he will clean the threshing floor, and he will bring joy to his people. We can see that is battle language. It is all about a day of battle. It's a day of vengeance. And the purpose of this would be to comfort God's people. And that we can read. I wish I knew how to quickly go back with this. Um, there must be a way. But let us just quickly go to Isaiah 61 there again. So what he's saying is that the Spirit of the Lord God is upon Jesus. To do what? To proclaim good news for the captives. The Jews thought they were the captives. To, 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 um, to heal the brokenhearted, freedom for those that are in prison and so forth. To proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. The acceptable year of the Lord was understood by the Jews as the day where God comes and makes battle with those that oppress the Jews. It's called the day of the vengeance of our God. And the purpose of vengeance is to comfort all who mourn. And they were mourning. They were saying we are oppressed. So that day of vengeance would be a day of destruction of the oppressor, as well as a day of comfort for those who are oppressed. And Jesus comes and he says, listen, that day is fulfilled in your hearing. And then they basically said, can this be the Messiah? This Joseph the carpenter's son? It cannot be. We are already rejecting him. And then he said to them, let me tell you something. I have basically been sent unto the non-Jew. Which can also include you because you are also oppressed. But the oppressor was all of a sudden not a person anymore, but a system. And the system that said you are saved by the flesh or you've got power by the flesh. It's about who is your father? Is Abraham your father or is he not? And now he's come in with a vengeance. He's going to clean his threshing floor. He's coming in with an unquenchable fire and he's going to chop down every tree that cannot produce fruit and he's going to chop down the, 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 the chaff in which the seed was kept. We all know the chaff is that which is around the seed. If you just look at a, 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 even barley, if you look at that, the, the chaff is around the seed and then when the seed falls out, there's no need for the chaff and the seed, which is Jesus, was now brought forth. There's no need for the chaff, which is the legalistic old Jewish system wherein identity was found in the flesh in if you are a child of Abraham or not. So what God was doing and he was saying in Jesus, let me tell you something, I've been sent to the Gentiles and what I'm doing now is the chaff, that which kept the word from the beginning, or uh, I'm talking about the Jewish system now here, that is now burnt away. So I am ending this whole thing about Jew and Gentile and I have now come to bring life to those who are oppressed and Jesus defines oppression as oppressed by death and sin. And he is burning up that old system. That is called the day of the vengeance of our God. And the purpose is comfort. We can go and look at Isaiah 40 as well. Let us read Isaiah 40. It just comes to my mind quickly. Let us read this. It says, comfort ye, comfort my people. Say, says God, speak Comfort to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, and that she has received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. If you read that in Isaiah 61 verse 7 in its context, it means double for all the shame that she has suffered and the sins that was committed towards her. She's received doubled. She's received blessing now for all the harm that was basically done to her. And here we see that comfort is connected to an end of war. So the Jews was in a battle. We are being oppressed. We are going through difficult times. That's what we under. We need freedom. We need the Messiah. We need the Messiah to come. Then Jesus said, I'm the Messiah. Today is the day of the vengeance of our God. They said, we cannot accept him. He said, well, let me tell you something. I actually didn't come just for you. As you think, I've come for those who you think is worth nothing. I've come to actually end what is true oppression. The Jews, the Jews in, in John 8 were saying, well, we not, was now John 12, 
they said, we're not the slaves of any man. Jesus said to them, if you're a slave of sin, if you commit sin, you're a slave of sin. You'll know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And when he talks about the, the, the true freedom, he's talking about his vengeance and his vengeance is on death itself. And if you go, um, let us go to, I think it's Hosea, Hosea 13. Let us go and read what Hosea says there. This talks about God taking um, vengeance on what kills people. This, if you read from verse 12, it says, The iniquity of Ephraim is bound up, his sin is hid. The sorrows of a travailing woman shall come upon him. Uh, he is an unwise son, for he should not stay long in the place of birth or the breaking forth of children. I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, where is your plagues, O grave? Where is your destruction? Repentance shall be hid from my eyes. So what is God saying here? He's saying Ephraim is staying at the place of birth. He's likening it to a child that's being born. Talk about his own people. They're staying in the birth canal too long. The message translation says that Ephraim or uh, <laughs> his people here is too stupid to be born. That's what the message translation says there. And they're going to die in the birth canal. But what is he saying? Maybe they will die in the birth canal, but I shall raise them up. And as Israel was so stuck in the law and basically died in the birth canal, when Jesus was coming saying to them, I've come to give you life, he will raise Israel up again. He will also give life to the Jews as he gives life to the Gentiles. And what God's battle is against and what his war is against is against death itself. Self. And this is what he is saying. He says, I will ransom them from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. O death, I will be your plagues. O grave, I will be your destruction. Repentance shall be hid from my eyes. So what is God saying? What is this whole thing about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the praying in other tongues all about? I want to tell you the day of Pentecost is not about praying in tongues. It's not what it's about. It's not about the gifts of the Spirit. That's not what it's about. That is a side issue. That is part of the gifts that came upon us and the breaking in of the new kingdom wherein we can now, and the praying of tongues in Acts had much more to do with speaking in different languages that in, that in an unknown tongue or the tongues of angels or that kind of a thing. It had everything to do with preaching the gospel to all tribes, tongues and nations saying that the kingdom of God has now entered into this world, that his Christ is ruling and reigning and that this is for all people, that the tree of having Abraham as your father plus the tree of pagan idol worship is now chopped off. Every tree is chopped off. That is the tree of, uh, you know, we are the people of God as Jews, plus the trees of idol worship. And we find Paul in the Areopagus defending the gospel so beautifully. And he's chopping down every tree. He's saying, listen, man, look at all these idols. God allowed you in your blindness to, to worship this way, but he's never left himself without testimony he's blessed you with rain and he's blessed you with everything in those times but now he's come and he's shown you the truth he's raised jesus from the dead and since he's raised him from the dead he's given testimony that the judgment is by him his king his ruler his lord and paul was saying that in the areopagus he was saying it in defense of the gospel and he was saying listen every tree is chopped down the uh, heathen idol worship, pagan idol worship way of trying to find a way to God through all these idols, plus the Jewish way wherein they thought the tree of life was being a true descendant of Abraham. It was being chopped out and the fire of God is burning it up and he is saying that system shall never be a system of life. I give life to whomsoever I want and I've decided to give it to Everybody free from law system, free from ethnicity, just to everyone. And this is the, the qualifying factor for salvation. What do you need to have to be saved? Sin. You need to, what do you need, if, what needs to be in you uh, to qualify 
for a doctor. You need to be sick. That's what you need. What qualifies you for eternal life and to be saved from death is death. You need sin. You need death. You need to be oppressed. You need to be under bondage. So if you're under bondage, Jesus is for you. And that is what he said. He decided and he is predetermined and predestined to save those that are under oppression. Not as what we would make up with our own minds, certain people, groups and certain laws and systems, but the mercy and the kindness of God expressed to all people. That's what God has predetermined. So, when we talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, it was when God came uh, and poured out the Spirit of life, the very force that gives God life, when He poured that out on all flesh. All flesh talks about is pouring it out on Jew and Gentile, saying that His message which is the message of Isaiah 61, which is the day of the vengeance of our God, is burning. That fire was kindled and it cannot stop. If you find a dry forest, a forest that's got no life in it, and you kindle a little fire and put a wind behind that, there is no fire brigade in the world that can stop that. All they do is they just try to manage where it burns, but they cannot kill the fire. You need rain or it needs to run to the ocean and die there. As long as what there's fuel for it, you cannot stop it. And that is what the Bible talks about, an unquenchable fire. The unquenchable fire that it was started was started in Jesus. It was started when he said that, I want to tell you today is the day of the vengeance of our God. Malachi 4 says that. Let us go to Malachi 4. I know I'm repeating myself a little bit there, but let us, let us just go there quickly. I'm now in chapter 1. It's, For behold, the day comes, it shall burn as an oven. This is a day of the vengeance of our God. And all that is proud, yes, all that do wickedly shall be stubble. So who were the proud? The Jews were so proud. We are the people of God. And so were some Gentile people that had to have the same kind of a thing. We're so proud. We can be saved by worshipping these idols and we've got a right to make a God and so forth. All that do wickedly. What is wickedly? Wickedly is to think you can be saved by your works and not be saved as a free gift. That is wickedly. They shall be stubble. And the day that comes shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name. What is the name of Jesus? What does it mean? Jesus means God saves. That's what it means. God the Savior. Jesus the Savior. He shall save his people from their sins. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son not the Son, Jesus the Son, the Son, S-U-N, or the fire of righteousness, or the day. You know, when a day dawns and you find the heat of that sun that, that is upon you. He says that sun will arise, the Son of righteousness, which is Jesus, and what he's come to do, shall arise with healing in his wings, and you shall go forth as calves of the stall. Verse 5, Behold, I sent Elijah the prophet, which is John the Baptist, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. So why is it great, a great dreadful day of the Lord? It's a dreadful day for those who were doing wickedly, uh, doing wicked things. And what was wickedness? Those who were proud, thinking, boasting in their flesh. So when Jesus said this day in, in, in your hearing, is this fulfilled? They knew it was a day of the vengeance of our God. It, they knew it was a day when God has come to burn up all that is wicked. And then he said to them, but let me tell you, uh, this, this message, this day of vengeance came basically for those that are oppressed. And who was the people that were oppressed? Naaman, a leper. A leper, as well as a widow. That was, and both of them were Gentiles. So what was it saying? It was saying, Jews, I want to tell you this very thing, exactly as what was taking place in uh, Matthew 3. Let us go to Matthew 3 quickly. 
John the Baptist is preaching. He's saying, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Okay? Bring forth therefore fruit, meet to repentance. So what is he saying? He's saying that these Pharisees and Sadducees, they are the people that need to repent. They're in wickedness. And think not to say within yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for for I say unto you that Abraham is able of these stones to rise up children unto Abraham. And now also the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that cannot bring forth fruit or every belief system that cannot produce eternal life, it's another way of saying it, shall be hewn down and cast into the fire. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that comes after me is mightier than me. What is he saying? He says, I cannot stop the Jewish system. I cannot stop what you're doing. But let me tell you, the one that's coming after me is mightier than me. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Meaning, he will give you, the, he will bring forth the spirit of life. And that spirit of life will be the system whereby every other system is destroyed. So I want to say it this way. Is this practical for us today? Very practical. Let every government that thinks that they can govern the world unto life know you are wicked. You shall be destroyed. You don't possess the wisdom to bring life to people. You need to bow your knee before Jesus Christ. And if you sh will not do it, you will find in the end, and it can be thousands of years, I don't care, but in the end, the only rulership is the rulership from where God comes and by His Holy Spirit brings life to people, bring it in them. Let every person that is in government, let every person that runs anything where he's a ruler or even his own life, want to govern his own life, submit himself to the fact that Jesus has conquered death and that he says that he will, through his doing, bring life to you, believe upon that, hope upon that, declare him as your Lord and then have a life born from that. From where you will, in your government position or wherever you are, have a life born from Him. But should you want to do anything outside of the life of Jesus, I want to tell you, it's not going to work. Businessmen that want to run their businesses without God, I want to tell you at the end of the day, it's not going to work. It will end. The only thing that produces eternal life. I'm not impressed by something that works for three years and not work anymore that shows the exact thing that a man can do the flower of man's glory or man's glory is like the flower of the field it's day to day tomorrow it's gone you know I, i'm not impressed by that what i'm impressed by is eternal life shining with eternal glory like the glory of jesus himself so here john says in matthew 3 that he's come and he will burn it will burn like an oven burning it all away and then we think of the woman that was uh, having, having the issue of blood. What did she say? She said, man, if I can just touch the hem of his garment. That hem of his garment is taken from the passage in Malachi 4 where it is saying that uh, there's healing in his wings. The wings, the healing in the wings talks about the tassels, talk about the hem of the garment. That's the word. And the woman knew that today is the day of the vengeance of our God. And she understood it. She said, well, the Lord declares me as somebody that is an outcast, that doesn't qualify. But today is the day of the vengeance of our God. And God takes vengeance on my sickness. Plus he takes vengeance on the system that calls me an outcast and not clean. And this whole thing of me being unclean, he takes vengeance on that. And she knew that Jesus's the hem of his garment was, uh, and, and that the man Jesus was the fulfillment of Malachi 4. She was walk, crawling amongst the people, and then she touched the hem of the garment. And that is how the scripture declares the fulfillment of Malachi 4, the day of the vengeance of our God. A fire that was kindled. Jesus even says, I want to kindle a fire, and how I wish it was already kindled. And the fire that was kindled is the outpouring of his life. And when we think of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, what are we saying? We are saying we believe upon Jesus and we are filled with the life that 
that was brought forth in the resurrection of Jesus and the Spirit of God, the life of God, falls on my flesh. And from there, we have the gifts of healing. The, 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 we can speak in other tongues. We can have knowledge and wisdom and every gift that's mentioned in the Bible. But that is not the, that is not the goal. The goal is not the gifts. The goal is the eternal life that comes from God and from His source of life. He brings forth life to us. And there's no end to this. It can, we are part of a kingdom that cannot end, my friend. We are part of eternal life. There's, in Him we know all things. In Him we live and move and have our being. In Jesus, in the resurrected Christ. And that's the life that He has promised us. So I want to say to you, when you have believed upon Jesus, and you know that he's been raised from the dead, what we open ourselves unto is to be, is, is to know that as we believe upon that, that the power of the resurrection will start to work in us. You can go and read Ephesians 1 verse 17 to 19 there, even to the end of the chapter there. It starts to work in us and bring forth his life in us. That is a consuming fire. To those who are against it, it's a fire of destruction, the stench of death. But to us who are being saved, it's a beautiful fragrance unto God. So this very same fire is a terrible day of the Lord. It's very terrible if you want any other system. I see, uh, you know, the political group standing up trying to end the church. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and I've seen it in different countries where the whole thing is how stupid is the church, this church of Jesus. Let me tell you something. There's a terrible day for whatsoever is against the church and want to close the church. You shall be closed. And the church will have no effort to try and make itself stand. We don't have to fight for ourselves. We have eternal life in Christ. We don't have to fight for ourselves. We stand. The church stand. That's why to me, my hope is in no political party. I don't throw my weight in with any political party. Uh, you might, I might vote for one. You know, it's like the, this is the way I do it. I, when election time comes, I, like, I kind of pray, God, which of these ten devils should I choose? Because each one of them are liars. Each one of them exaggerate. Each one of them has got some wickedness somewhere in them. You know, we cannot make them our salvation. But I will vote. If I feel I don't want to vote, I don't vote. And let people say whatever they want about that. I am not saved by my vote. I'm saved because I have received eternal life. His life is in me. From him is my wisdom in how to treat my wife, treat my uh, uh, children, how to run my business. And I find that in him is so much life. Even if I don't know what to do, life will still manifest. It is something that comes from him. We're standing under his rulership. We're standing under his power. You know, maybe we don't understand everything, but the fact that we don't understand everything doesn't mean that God doesn't care for us. I look at my kids when they were small and didn't understand everything on how I do things. They were still under my rulership. They came home when they went to school to my house. I care for them. And they grew up and now they understand much more. And in their understanding I see more fruit. But I'm not going to care for them in accordance to their understanding. I'm their father. So yes, maybe you don't understand everything. No, maybe we don't know all the scriptures and understand how everything is put together. But we are under the fire and the baptism of the spirit of life, church. And that is where we stand. My hope is not in any police department. My hope is not in any of those things. My hope is only in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And let this be a warning to anybody that at anything that says we stand against the church of Jesus Christ, you'll end up where Paul ended up. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And what happened to Paul? He believed in Jesus. What happened to the other people? The systems that tried to oppress the church, they long gone. They long gone. We are part of something that cannot end. We cannot be saved by our works. 
we are saved by the life of God. And in Acts 2 and the day of Pentecost, which we are celebrating today and which we think upon, it was when the Spirit of God was poured out. The very life that brings this immortal life was poured out on all flesh. A fire was kindled that cannot end. And we are enjoying being burnt by that fire, purified unto a holy life. We are burnt with, and I'm going to end off with this, we are burnt with, and this is going to be beautiful, Isaiah 61. We are burnt with the good tidings. We are burnt, we are uh, uh, um, consumed by our hearts being healed, by liberty coming our way. We are consumed with deliverance. We are consumed with beauty for ashes. We are consumed with the oil of joy and the garment of praise. We are consumed with our heavy burdens being lifted off us. We are consumed by being called the righteousness of God. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen and amen. I trust this message has blessed you. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much that we can just say that you are God and that you have baptized this world with fire and your fire is burning. And we are consumed with your life. Thank you for the resurrected Jesus that is a fire from the loins up and a fire from the loins down. Thank you that this is the day of the vengeance of our God and we are enjoying your vengeance. As you take vengeance on our fears, as you are taking vengeance on death, as you are taking vengeance on what oppresses your people, as you are taking vengeance on belief systems that says, oh, what will happen to us because the the, the government is corrupt and all that. You're taking vengeance on all those fears and you're bringing life to us. You are taking vengeance on the grave itself and you're giving us life. You're taking vengeance on what will happen if I, take, I get the coronavirus. You will take vengeance on all of that. Thank you, Lord, that you have come to give us life and fulfill your promise that was from before the world began on us. We rest in you. Thank you, God. Thank you, Lord. I stretch forth my hand and I just declare as I stretch forth my hand, the Bible says that out of your hand come lightning like shafts of fire. <laughs> and that is the hiding place of your power. Out of your hands, as I stretch forth my hands, I'm thinking of what you have said. Out of your hands come lightning like shafts of fire. We know that lightning like shafts of fire is the voices, the languages of the gospel of peace consuming the adversary bringing life and deliverance and freedom to every person and we are saying that your hand is upon us and as i stretch forth my hands i say you are healed the hiding place of your power is in your work your hand which is the work done by jesus the work of the father when he raised jesus from the dead and in your work we stand and we are free. I declare all people that is watching, you are free, you are healed. Signs, wonders and miracles start to take place as, the, as you are baptized in the spirit of life. You are healed today in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Thank you so much for watching and then I will see you again in this week as I share more of this message of the consuming fire of God's life. Amen.